Psalm 57, verse 7, one verse tonight. This is David making a statement in the word of God. The New King James Version said, My heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise to you. King James says, My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Father, bless your people tonight. Thank you for your presence in this place. Bless your word, Lord. Anoint it to touch our hearts, and we give you praise in your name. Amen. You may be seated. In this passage of of Scripture, David was making a statement in this psalm that is recorded, in this song that is recorded in Scripture. He was talking about a heart condition, and that's what I want to share with you tonight from the Word. I want to talk about heart conditions. The title of my message, if you're taking notes, is My Heart is Fixed. Quite simple simple title. But there are all kinds of heart conditions. There's a broken heart. There's a wounded heart. And then there's physical heart conditions that can limit and restrict your abilities and your activities based on the condition and the state of your heart. But David said in this passage, my heart is fixed. My heart is steadfast. Not in circumstances that could be seen. Not in popular vote or popular opinion. He said, my heart is steadfast. My heart is fixed, oh God, in you. And if you know the history or the background of this particular psalm, when David recorded this, he was fleeing from Saul. Saul was, <laughs> had put a hit out on him, a contract, if you will. He wanted that Saul, the King Saul wanted David dead. And even though David had been anointed by the prophet and been declared to be the next king of Israel, Saul said, I'm going to kill you. And he put a hit out on him, and David fleed from the presence of Saul and was actually living in a cave when he penned this psalm. And so if you read this psalm, you read the first part of it, it talks about asking God to be merciful to him and talks about how he cries out to the, David saying, I will cry out to the Most High and how God will send from heaven and save him. And how even though there are those that are, he says, my soul is among lions and I, I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire, meaning they're after me. They're determined. They've got a burning desire to come and kill me. Now, most of us don't face that kind of persecution. Most of us don't face that kind of pressure. We might face some some critical sideways looks because we claim the name of Jesus. We might face some rejection of not getting invited to this thing or that thing or included in this. But David was fleeing for his life, and he was declaring unto the Lord all that's going on. And in, in the midst of that, he says, my heart is fixed, O God. My heart is steadfast, O God, and I will sing and I will give praise. So tonight I want to talk about heart conditions. In particular, I want to talk about one specific condition that the Lord's been kind of just laid on my heart, if you will. And two words that refer to a healthy and a positive heart condition, and those two words are whole heart. Whole heart. I know there's a lot of ways that a heart isn't whole, a lot of ways that it can't be whole. I know there is such a thing as a broken heart, as we already talked about. And I know a broken heart can come from many different circumstances and situations. I know that we as human beings can experience a broken heart through loss, maybe a divorce or maybe the loss of a loved one or the death of a spouse, or it could be the absence of a father or mother or that type of person in your life. I know that 
having a, a broken heart can happen to the young and to the old. There's no age limit on a broken heart. But you know what? As much as I know that, I am so glad that I know the healer of a broken heart. I am so glad that I'm here tonight to declare to you his name is Jesus and he can heal every broken heart. He is the one that will take the heart that has been broken by circumstances and situations and other people and choices and decisions that have been made. And if when given over to him, he can heal it, he can put it back together. In fact, he can create a new clean heart in place of a broken heart. Jesus is the heart fixer. The Holy Spirit is the greatest surgeon in the universe, and he can perform, perform open-heart surgery and never leave a scar. Now, being a, being a child of, born in the late 60s, growing up as a teenager in the 80s, there was a, 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 an 80s rock band by the name of Extreme. Some of you might know who they are. And they had a song entitled, Wholehearted. And the lines of that song, the lyrics of that song says, there's a hole in my heart that can only be filled by you. And then the chorus was wholehearted. Now, they weren't a Christian band. That's probably the only song that they did that I could share some of their lyrics in church. But I thought it was interesting that, that even a, a band that doesn't promote godliness and good things understands this concept. Now, they were referring to a relationship with another person. But I want to declare to you tonight, there is a hole in the heart of every human being that doesn't know Jesus yet. And we can try to fill that heart. We can try to make that heart a whole heart with all kinds of things, all kinds of possessions, all kinds of other kind of relationships. But the only person able to fill our heart and fill that, as it's been said, that God-shaped hole in us is Jesus, the Son of the living God. I encourage you tonight, if you're here or you're watching online or you listen to the podcast later and you don't know Jesus, you've got a hole in your heart, a place in your heart that you've not been, you've been trying to fill it with all kinds of things, I want to encourage you tonight, surrender to Jesus. Let Jesus fill your heart. Let him fill that place in your heart, that longing in your heart. And I also want to encourage you tonight by the Holy Spirit that you can live with a whole heart. A heart that is whole. It is possible through the power and the help of the Holy Spirit to live your life with a whole heart that is surrendered to God. Because guess what? That's what he's after. God is after our heart. Now we know that the Bible says we are, we are created in God's image. We know the Bible. There's scriptures that tell us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We know that scripture tells us that before we were ever formed in our mother's womb, we were in God's heart. We were in his mind. He had planned us to be and planned us for a purpose. We know that God has a reason for our existence. We're not a mistake. We're not here to take up space. We're here to do what God has called us and told us to do. But I'm here to tell you that God is after our heart because if he has our heart, then he has us. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God knows our heart. Another passage of Scripture in Jeremiah says, The heart of man is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? With the understanding or the implication that God is the only one, and he's the only one that can correct that wickedness that is in our heart. God is after our heart. And the amazing thing is he's after our heart regardless of the condition of it. 
There are many people that feel like I just got to get everything cleaned up and, and, and then I'll come to Jesus. He wouldn't want my life because I've messed it up so bad. I've done so many things wrong. Or maybe you've served Jesus, but, but you've given in to the temptation of sin and, and you've allowed things in your heart and in your life that has caused you to drift away. And you're like, God, how could you ever want me back? Can I tell you from personal experience? He wants our hearts no matter what the condition of it is. He just doesn't want to leave us in that condition. We don't have to clean our hearts up. We're not the ones that can clean our hearts up. We're not the ones that can clean our life up. We surrender our lives to God and he takes our lives. He takes our heart that is given in surrender to him. And he's the one that does the cleaning and the cleansing and the recreating and washing, making us white as snow. Though our sins be as scarlet, Isaiah says, we will be made white as snow. Why? Because of the work of Jesus, because he's after our hearts. He's the one who can bind up the brokenhearted. He's the one that can make the heart glad and full of joy. Amen? And even after he has our heart, he's the one that can help to keep it whole and pure. See, as much as I would like to, as much as I want to encourage you to commit your heart fully and completely to the Lord, and I do and I will and I will, I, I can't, there's not a better way to live. I mean, if we're going to be in this thing, be all in. If we're going to, if we're going to commit, commit. You know, Scripture talks about that. It says in the book of Revelation that, that one of the things God had against one particular group of believers was that he would rather they be either hot or cold, but because they're lukewarm, it says God will spew them out of the, their mouth. Now, Scripture's open to interpretation sometimes on exact, because we know what it says, and we can say that's what it means. God's going to spit them out. Other people have said what that means is that, that it turns God's stomach. When people aren't either hot or cold, he's not saying, I don't want you. He's not saying, obviously, he wants us to be hot for him. He wants our hearts to be whole, but committed to him. But he's saying, I'd rather you, if you're not going to commit your heart to me, commit your life to me, be all in, surrender all. I surrender all, Lord. If you're not going to do that, then just go do something else and quit confusing the situation. Quit muddying the waters, if you will. Because when we're half in and half out, you know, it's a one, that's a terrible way to live. Just saved enough to be miserable. You've heard me say before. Just saved enough to know you should be living more committed to the Lord, but not willing to do that. So you're dealing with the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and you're dealing with the condemnation from Satan. Now, there is a difference between those two. And I, I may have mentioned this in a previous message, but I feel like, because it's not in my notes, and just, the Holy Spirit just dropped it, so I'm going to share it again. The Holy Spirit, Jesus even said, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. They're already condemned. I came to save the world. And the Holy Spirit's job is not condemnation. I'll, I'll kind of get down here where I can be with y'all. The Holy Spirit's job is not condemnation. The Holy Spirit's job is conviction. So when you're doing something and you hear that voice that speaks to you and begins to tell you that you're worthless and, and, and why would you even claim to serve Jesus because you're doing that thing or because you're tempted to do that thing or you gave in to temptation and did that thing, can I tell you that's not the Holy Spirit? That's, that's the enemy condemning you. And see, that's how he likes to trick us. He throws that temptation up. He throws that thing up to go and, and commit sin and do wrong and walk contrary to God's word and contrary to the way that the Lord has instructed us to live, to divide our heart, if you will. He throws up that stuff and makes it look good and makes it look appealing and makes it look like that's something we want to do. And then when we do it, he pounces on us with condemnation to tell us how rotten we are and how God could never love us because look what we just did. That's condemnation. 
Bible tells us in the book of Romans, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. So the Holy Spirit's job, and one of the main jobs that he does is to convict us. Now he convicts the world of their sin and their need for Christ, but those of us that are believers, I'm just doing a little teaching right now, those of us that are believers, the Holy Spirit convicts us when we begin to look too long towards that temptation. Temptation is not a sin because the Bible tells us that Jesus was perfect and he did not sin while he was here on earth, yet he was tempted. Temptation is not sin. It's what we do with the temptation when it comes our way that then becomes sin. We're all tempted. In fact, James tells us that's how we get to sin, that when we're, we're all tempted and drawn away and enticed by our own lust, and then we give in to sin, and the ultimate finish line of sin is death. So when, when, we're, when we're dealing with temptation, the Holy Spirit comes to convict us if he senses that we're beginning to linger a little too long looking towards that temptation. Come on, Miss D, I'll get out of your way. So understand the difference between condemnation and conviction. God wants us to have a heart that's completely committed to him. And when we are half in and half out, we're dealing with condemnation from the enemy because he's going to beat us up and we're dealing with conviction of the Holy Spirit telling us to get it right and to surrender and to come back and ask. And he simply says, hey, don't do that. And that thing you did, repent. Just repent and allow God to heal your heart one more time. So as much as I want to and I am encouraging you to live a life fully surrendered to the Lord with your heart fully surrendered to the Lord, I would also like to give you caution tonight to another type of heart condition that we must guard against, and I've kind of already hinted at it. And that condition is a divided heart. Or we might even call it half-heartedness. Have you ever heard the phrase, well, I'll do it, but my heart's really not in it? Or the phrase half-hearted? With that, those phrases in mind, we should ask ourselves. We should be honest before the Lord and ask ourselves, how much of our heart do we put into our prayer time? How much of our heart do we put into our Bible reading and our study? How much of our heart do we put into worship? How much of our heart do we put into giving? We must be careful not to live our lives for the Lord half-hearted. Because I'm going to tell you tonight, church, he didn't give half. He didn't give three quarters. He didn't give seven eighths. He gave 100% of himself. He offered himself as a sacrifice on the cross for you and I so that we didn't have to deal with condemnation any longer, that we could put the enemy under our feet because we've been blood washed by the lamb. His blood shed for us. He gave 100% for us. He was sinless. He was without sin. And yet he took your sin and my sin upon himself and allowed himself to, he surrendered and submitted himself to his father's will and allowed himself to be crucified on a cross buried in a borrowed tomb trusting his father to raise him from the dead so that you and I in turn could give half of our hearts he wants all our hearts and I encourage you tonight to go all in go all in I mean I mean just go all in Lord I give you everything 
Lord, I want to go where you want me to go. I want to say what you want me to say. I want to move where you want me to move. I want to follow. I want to be led by you. The Word of God tells us those that are led by the Spirit keep their mind on the Spirit. But those that are led by the flesh do mind or keep their mind on the things of the flesh. And the flesh, our sinful nature in this world is at enmity with God. So tonight, church, I just want to encourage you to give God less than a whole heart means that part of you is open to business for somebody else. If God doesn't have your whole heart, then the part he doesn't have is open for somebody else. John and I have been watching a, a, a Christian comedian by the name of Michael Jr. I don't know if you're familiar with him or not. He was, in, uh, he was one of the actors that was in War Room. It's really funny, got a got powerful testimony. And he said, uh, he said, some people, he said, you know, like in the South especially, you had a front room. You usually had a big picture window and you had a front room. Most people didn't live in the front room. You kept it nice and neat and clean and, you know, it get, I mean, my job growing up was to dust. Can I tell you to this day, I, sorry, sweetheart, I still don't like to dust because that was my job. My job was to dust. I knew every Saturday before I watched, growing up, before I watched a single cartoon, before I watched Bugs Bunny and Roadrunner, before I watched Looney Tunes, before I watched anything else, I had to dust. And it wasn't one of these little, you know, quick shimmy jobs. It was the, if it was wood table, it was the pledge, you know, that you sprayed. And if it was something, if it was glass, you, you know, and I, I mean, I hated to dust. But people in the South that have a front room, keep it nice and clean. Keep it dusted because there's a big picture window so that when folks are walking by and they look in, that window because the curtains are open, they look in, they see the nice furniture, they see it's all nice and, and clean, they think, wow, those people, they, they keep their house clean, they keep their house tidy. Those are good people, those are good folk. <laughs> and what they don't understand because they can only see the front room that nobody ever sits in is that the rest of the house is chaos because nobody's taking time to clean it because nobody's ever going to see it. And what Michael Jr. said is a lot of times we do that with Jesus. In our house, we got a front room that we keep clean and we say, Jesus, that's your room. Jesus, that's where you stay. So that when people walk by, they see Jesus in that front room and think, man, they all right. They serving the Lord. They living for Jesus. When there's other rooms that are dark and dirty and maybe even full of stuff, and I'll let you interpret stuff however you want to. And what we need to do, what we need to do as a body of believers that are going to advance the kingdom in this valley, in this city, in this state, is we need to give God all our house, all our heart, every room. Because if we don't, something else is going to occupy the rooms that we haven't given to him. And then our heart is divided. And Jesus even said a kingdom divided amongst itself cannot stand. The part of your heart that is not yielded and surrendered to God is not filled with God and can be occupied with other things. Which means that the part of your heart that is not filled with God and surrendered to God is not protected by God. God will only protect what's his. God will only govern what is, he is given control over. That's called free will. When we first moved to Bethel, Alaska to pastor the church. Okay, I was going to I can't see what time it is. Those lights are bright. 
I won't keep you long tonight. When we first moved to Bethel to pastor the church, one of the things that we did was get all the stuff set up with the electric company and the, and, and the different things. And I remember, because in, in Bethel, if you've ever been out there on the western side, everything that you get as far as television or internet or phone service, it's all satellite feed. So I had to go down to the local company that handled all that, and I, I'm talking to the guy, and he says, you're new in town? I said, yeah. I said, and I gave him the address, and he looked it up, and he said, oh, that's the, the church, because we lived in the parsonage, in the, the house that the church owned. And I said, yeah, I said, I'm the new pastor in town. He said, oh, I'm an atheist. I said, oh, okay. And he was expecting some other big response. And I really feel like the Holy Spirit dropped this in my heart for him. He said, I've been by your church before. He said, you know, I see people going in and out and stuff. He said, but I don't believe in, in God. And I said, you know, and that's the greatest gift God ever gave you. And he like backed up. He says, what do you mean? I said, God, the greatest gift God ever gave you was the gift of free will to choose, even if it means choosing to reject him. Because God could make us. He's the one that created us. Listen, there, there, is, too much, there is too much scientific backing to believe that this all just happened. I mean, if you like chickens, we had chickens when we lived in Arizona. There are people that have chickens in the house. If you like chickens... Only God, only a grand designer, only somebody that, that handcrafted it and made it happen could create a creature that can eat garbage and junk and stuff and yet produce what we want to cook and eat for breakfast in the morning. There is empirical and scientific evidence all around us for a creator, for a grand master designer. And because he's the grand master designer, the creator, he could have made us to be marionettes that we would... Did I do that pretty good? That we would walk as he pulled the strings. That we would talk when he opened our mouth. That we would just follow in line like good soldiers. But you know, if he had made us that way, then our love and our, our, our surrender to him wouldn't have been voluntary. So God said, I'm going to create them in my image, and then I'm going to give them a choice. Because I love them that much. And if I give them the choice to choose me or to reject me, some may reject me. But others are going to choose me. Others are going to recognize my love. Others are going to see me in creation and know there is a God and I can... Whoops. Sorry about that. And I can get to know him. I can experience his love. I can walk in fellowship with him. That's how much God loves us. Now, I shared that with him and he's like... I've never heard anybody say that kind of thing before. See, he was fully expecting me to say, well, you know, because you don't believe in God, then, you know, you're condemned. And because, you know, listen, God loved him enough to give him that right to choose that. Now, God's going to do everything he can, and I think he did by sending me in there to see him because I gave him something to think about. And only eternity will tell whether or not he took maybe the words that I said and made the choice to give God a chance. But only God can protect what's his. Only God can govern what is given over to him to control. The Bible gives us several references to serving God with a whole heart. Let me give them to you tonight. I'll go into fast mode for just a minute. Second Chronicles chapter 15, 15 says, And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with all their soul. And he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest 
all around. Listen, it is something to go to sleep at night knowing your whole heart is surrendered to God, that you've given God everything. Your soul is at peace with him. Your heart is at rest with him, and you can sleep better at night. Psalm 119.10, with my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Psalm 119.34, give me understanding and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Psalm 119.69, the proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep your precepts with my whole heart. And there's many more scriptures, but for sake of time, just trust me. It's in there. Give God your whole heart. Don't hold back. Don't reserve, you know, give him 75% but reserve 25% because you're not really sure you can trust him. Listen, you can trust God. He's a good, good father. You may not understand it all. I love what Bill Johnson, like you can clap, go ahead. I love what Bill Johnson says. Amen. He said there are just some things that we just will not understand on this side of the earth. So we need to put them in the God I don't understand box. And when we get to heaven, if, we, if it isn't already automatically revealed to us when we see him face to face, then we can have God open that box and explain some of that stuff. And I kind of agree with him. You know, there may be things I don't understand on this side, but when I get on that side, I'm not really going to care about those things that I didn't understand because I'm going to see him face to face. Our whole heart, church. But I also want to give you some scripture references about a divided heart. Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 10. And yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah, he's prophesying and talking about the, the southern tribes of Judah and the northern tribes of Israel. Her, her treacherous sister Judah has not turned to me with her whole heart, but has turned to me in pretense, pretending, says the Lord. First Kings 11.4, for it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as was the heart of his father David. And finally, 2 Chronicles chapter 25, verse 2, it's speaking of a gentleman by the name of Amaziah. And it says, he did, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a loyal heart. Listen, you can only do what's right in the sight of the Lord so long in your own strength and you'll get tired and you'll get, you'll get weary and it'll begin to show. But when your heart is wholly committed, wholly surrendered, wholly given over to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, then doing what's right in the sight of the Lord is easy. We need to invest our hearts, church. As I said, we need to be all in. Many people in the church not this church, the church in general. Many people in the church find themselves faced with that decision. Am I going to surrender all? See, many people in the church, they, they, they give their heart to Jesus and they repent of their sins and they say a prayer and they're sincere in their repentance and the Lord accepts their repentance, which I've said this before, but I'll say it again. That's key that you understand that. We're forgiven when the Lord accepts our repentance. And he accepts our repentance based on the condition of our heart. Because God's grace and God's mercy is not to be like a doormat. You know what a doormat, especially up here in Alaska, some of them are heavy-duty doormats. Because in the wintertime, it's, your shoes and boots are covered in snow. In the summertime, it's covered in mud. And so before you go walk in your, in your living room and get your wife all mad at you, you make sure you use the heavy-duty floor mat, uh, doormat that's out front, and you clean all that stuff off your shoes. 
Some people, and again, not here, some people approach their service to God like that. I'll go and get all muddy. I'll go and get all and do all this stuff, and then I'll just come back to God, and I'll just repent and say, Lord, forgive me for what I did, and go about my business, and the next day go and do it again. Can I tell you that our forgiveness is based on repenting before God and him accepting our repentance because of the condition of our heart? That's for whoever it needs to be. Wholehearted before the Lord. Many people in the church of Jesus Christ have committed themselves to being wholehearted, to selling out, to giving all that they have to God. Lord, take all of me, everything that I am, everything that I'm not, Every part of me, Lord God, belongs to you. I give it to you. And others are in the decision-making process. But can I tell you that God is looking for a group of believers who has their heart fixed on him. I'm looking at a group of believers that I believe have their heart fixed on him. God is looking for people that are hungry for him. God is looking for people that are hungry for his word. God is looking for people that are passionately pursuing his presence. David was such a man. A couple minutes. David was such a man. David was somebody that if you looked at him in the wrong time, in the wrong place in his life, you might think he didn't really have it all together. You know, if you looked at him, you might think he was maybe even less than a man. You know, he was a shepherd who played a, a, a stringed instrument and sang songs and made poetry and, you know, cried and, 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 and did some of those things. And people would be like, that's not really a man. And yet you cross David and cross the God of David and he'll take your head off. Goliath, if he were still alive, could testify to that. David was a warrior, a bad dude, but David was also a man who longed for the presence of God, whose heart burned after God, so much so that he's the only one in Scripture that is recorded that God says to Samuel, who was crying because Saul was no longer king. And God said, Samuel, why are you crying over the old stuff? I have found a man whose heart is after me, a man who's after my own heart. That's the kind of person David was. And that's why David could pin our text tonight in the midst of being chased by Saul. My heart is fixed. My heart is steadfast. Now, amen. David messed up. We all know. He sinned. But what did he say when he came, when he repented and fully repented? Create in me what a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Take not the holy, your holy presence, your holy spirit from me. Because David knew to serve God with less than a whole, clean, whole heart was to not really serve God at all. God is looking for people that are full of passion, full of pot fire, full of zeal, full of intensity, that have a heart hunger for God, a desire for God. John chapter 2 verse 17 says, the zeal of your house has eaten me up. The zeal of your presence has eaten me up. I can't stand. David said, I, I can't stand to be away from your presence. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Do it with everything you've got. Do it with a whole heart. Put your heart completely in it. Don't hold back. Give him everything. You could sum it up like this. God's looking for people to be the church of the living God. Not ashamed of the power of the gospel of Christ. Not ashamed of the cross of Christ. Not ashamed to take the name of Christian and it mean what it really means. Little Christ, 
like Christ. A church that is in love with Jesus, a church that loves the Holy Spirit, a church that has a holy heart to burn for him, a group of people that have holy heartburn, if you will, burning hot for God. Their hearts are on fire for the Lord. God's not just looking for warm bodies in the seats. He's looking for people that will sell out. You know, we, we, the, the, the terminology, we don't use it a lot anymore, but it's like, oh, he's a sellout. And that's usually viewed as a, as a negative con, you know, connotation. But can I tell you, we need to sell out. We need to be viewed as people that have sold out sold everything to God, given it all to him, committed all to him, that the condition of our heart. See, that's why if our heart is broken, that's why if our heart is heavy, that's why if our heart is burdened, that's why if our heart is becoming hard, that's why if our heart is in danger of becoming a heart of stone, we can come to the Lord and say, Lord, heal my heart. Lord, take that heart of stone out of my chest and put within me a heart of flesh that beats only after you. And when we pray that with sincerity and we mean it and we begin to take the steps to, to show God that we mean it, he does exactly that. He heals our heart. He forgives us of our sin. He cleanses our hearts from all unrighteousness. God is looking for hearts that are on fire, that are wholly devoted to him. Brother Toby, would you come back to the keyboard tonight? There's so much more in scripture about the heart. But understand tonight, to live for God with a whole heart is to live a life surrendered to him and to his will. To keep our heart guarded against anything less. And to allow the Holy Spirit to continually purify and cleanse our hearts. I recently, like really recently, watched a, a sermon by Bishop T.D. Jakes. And he talked about that passage of scripture. Because see, sometimes, and, I'm gonna, and, and this is from him, I give him credit. Sometimes we, we look at the thing, the connotation of guarding our hearts and we think it means we shut our hearts up and keep our hearts shut up even to the point that we're, our hearts are shut up towards God. And, he's, and I, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, <laughs> but where it says guard your heart for out of it flows, that ought to be an indication of what should be happening with our hearts. It shouldn't be shut up. It should be flowing. Life should be flowing through our hearts. And you know what happens when you turn a water hose on? It doesn't matter what gunk might have gotten in the water hose. You might have used that water hose to clean out the septic system, but you hook it up to the, to the spigot and you turn the water on and fresh water begins to flow and it cleans out the junk that might have gotten the water hose. When we allow the Spirit of God to flow through our hearts, when we allow our hearts to be flushed, as Bishop said, if we allow our hearts to be flushed by his presence, flushed by his word, flushed by his love, flushed by his grace, then we're guarding it against junk building up. He even said the Hebrew word you found there where it says guard your heart, that Hebrew word meaning there is like a catheter. And many times in if you know anything about the medical procedure of having a catheter installed, you have a catheter installed because there's blockage. Something has gotten in there. And has created a blockage and stuff's building up around it. And left unattended and uncorrected, death can happen in the human being's body. So many times the only solution is to install a catheter so stuff gets flushed out. So that things are flowing again. Can I tell you tonight? Surrender your heart to the Lord. 
It doesn't matter how long you've been walking with the Lord. It doesn't matter how long you've been serving the Lord. Maybe it's been six days, six weeks, six months, six years, 60 years. Things, stuff can build up in our hearts when we think that we got to close our heart off. Or we do like what I, that description, we give God, we give Jesus certain rooms of our heart, but we keep the other doors closed. Man, stuff's going to build up, and before long, there's going to be a blockage, and it's going to create a problem. And what used to flow, what, used to, what you used to walk in, what you used to be able to allow to happen in your life, his, his word meaning, bringing meaning to your life, his word bringing life to you, his spirit talking to you. If there's blockage... There's restriction, and when there's restriction, you can't do what God wants you to do, and he can't do what he wants to do. So would you stand with me all across this place tonight? Won't you give him your heart? See, if the same scripture that tells me that the only way to get to heaven is to believe on Jesus and I believe that, then I've got to believe the the same scripture that says the heart of man is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? And I don't want anything deceitfully wicked in my life any longer. And hopefully neither do you. And so the solution and the answer to that is to give our hearts over to him and allow him to flush our hearts of all that junk, flush our hearts of all that buildup, flush our hearts of all that stuff. Paul called it laying aside those weights. You know, if you have the opportunity to check into a fancy hotel, they have these things, these people that are called bellhops. And when you come in carrying your luggage, carrying your baggage, carrying your stuff, you go up to the desk and you're going to check in for some rest. You're going to check in for some, you know, let somebody else have to clean the, the, the room, room service, take care of you. They hit a bell and then some guy comes out. Sometimes it's an old guy, can barely walk, and you think, can he carry my bags? And sometimes it's a young guy or girl, it doesn't matter. And they come and they take that bags and they take care of it. And you're free to just enjoy what is now before you. In the same way, that's what the Holy Spirit does. When we go to check into his presence and we're carrying baggage... The Holy Spirit wants to say, Let, give me that baggage. Let me take care of that baggage. You just enter into my presence and enjoy being in my presence. And let my presence, let the spirit of the living God, let the truth of his word flush your heart, clean you out. It's like going to a spa and being revived and being refreshed. And you find that in the presence of the Lord. So tonight, with every head up and every eye open, Brother Toby's going to sing a song that I requested that he sing. And you know me, I'll probably sing with him. And as we sing it, do the words of that song. Do what the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you right now. And if it means you need to step out and come to the altar, you do that. We're not dismissed yet. But make the words of this song we're about to sing and the application of the word that I shared tonight that the Lord gave me. Make that real in your life tonight. Amen. Lord, I give you my heart. Come on. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. Every breath that I take. 
prayer tonight. Give you my soul. Live for you alone. Every breath that I take. It's not condemnation to say, Lord, I need to give you my heart again. It's not a weakness, it's a strength to know that you can trust in him, to know that you can depend on him, and he will do what you're telling him right now. He'll, he'll have his way in your life, and he'll make you complete and whole. Lord, I give you my heart. Come on. I give you my soul. dismiss you tonight those of you that have come forward you don't have to go anywhere you stay right where you are and you let the Holy Spirit who's the greatest surgeon there is do that heart surgery on you right now in the way that he wants to in the way that he'll do what you allow him to do if it's a complete heart transplant he will do that if that's what is needed and you allow him 
But maybe there's some valve repair that needs to take place. Maybe there's some catheters that need to be put in to, to clean out and let things flow again. So whatever it is, you just let the Holy Spirit do that. But for the rest, and not because there's necessarily a separation, you don't have to go anywhere either. We're going to dismiss in prayer to let those that want to go, go. But I'm encouraging you, and I'm going to prevail on my brother for as long as he can to just play. And not a lot of hype, nothing wrong with hype, not a lot of noise, nothing wrong with noise. God's not afraid of noise. But in that quiet place, just let him do heart surgery. But I know I kind of did the invitation of give him your heart with heads up and eyes open. But maybe you need to be challenged one more time. So here it is. If you're here tonight and you need to surrender your heart to Jesus for the first time, or you're watching online, or you listen to this later, and this applies to you, you need to give your heart to Jesus. Can I tell you that the Bible says, behold, today is the day of salvation. Now is the opportunity for salvation. Because just like I lost that job the day after Christmas, not knowing, walking in, not knowing that that was going to happen, getting a call from the main boss's office, say, come see me. And I walk in and he says, we're making changes and they don't include you. Pack your stuff and be gone. Just like that, our life could be over. And this could be the last opportunity you have. So I challenge you tonight, if you need to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you need to surrender your life to the Lord, you've never done that tonight. Or you need to rededicate your life to the Lord. You need to recommit your life to the Lord or reaffirm your salvation tonight. If you're in any one of those three categories, would you lift your hand all across this place? I want to pray for you, and you're in a safe place. You don't have to worry about people judging you or thinking about you. If they do, I'll talk to them. Anybody tonight? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, let's all pray this prayer. And then I'll dismiss everybody that wants to be dismissed. The rest stay and just let the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do and what you're needing him to do in your life. But pray this prayer after me. Father God, thank you that you're a good God and you love me enough to send your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for my sin. I'm sorry for my sin. I don't want to sin anymore. I don't want my heart to be divided. So Lord, tonight, here's my heart. I surrender it to you. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of my sins. Make me brand new. I surrender my life to you. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me and saving me. In your name, amen. Amen.